please listen to the important notice before we begin. It is unknown whether or not Big Bill Haywood had any descendants, but if he did, the result might go something like this. Please keep in mind that the existence of a great-great-granddaughter of Big Bill is unknown. Hello and good day to all. Welcome back to another episode of History Between the Lines. I'm your host, Ella Harris, and I hope that each of you listening are doing fine on this lovely Friday afternoon on the 11th of December. Today, we are going to focus on the industrial workers of the world, also known as the Wobblies, or the IWW. A little bit of background information before we begin. These workers and their labor organizations were founded right in our studio's hometown in Chicago in 1905 by representatives of 43 different groups. The IWW opposed the American Federation of Labor's acceptance of capitalism and refused to include unskilled workers and craft unions. Their ultimate goal was to call, quote, one big strike, which would overthrow the capitalist system. Among the founders of the IWW was William D., Big Bill Haywood of the Western Federation of Miners, or the WFM. Today, we have a very special guest with us on our show, the great-great-granddaughter of Big Bill Haywood, Maddie Bahura. How are you doing today, Maddie? It is a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you for coming in. Of course, and I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Would you mind starting us off by elaborating a little bit about your great-great-grandfather? For sure. My great-great-grandfather was one of the main organizers for the IWW. His full name was William Dudley Haywood, and he grew up on the rough and violent western frontier. He started working at the young age of nine in copper mines. Eventually, he ended up marrying my great-great-grandmother, Jane, and took up homesteading in Nevada for he wanted a self-sufficient lifestyle. He realized he liked working for himself a lot better than working for an employer. But when his land became part of the Indian reservation, he lost his homestead and had to return to an extremely harsh life of a mine wage worker, just as he used to do when he was nine. Wow, that sounds absolutely terrible. It really does. That must have been very difficult for him. But, I mean, he did truly make the best out of the situation because he helped form the WFM Union in the 1890s. He was quite the powerful speaker, which allowed him to gain the reputation as a militant union organizer and strike leader. Yes, he did. And in 1905, he joined other union leaders and socialists, anarchists, and other radicals to organize this new national union. This convention called to order by my great-great-grandfather by pounding a piece of board on the podium. Keep in mind, this all took place in Chicago. There, he announced the purpose of the meeting. This purpose was to create a working-class movement, a movement which freed workers from the slave bondage of capitalism and brought workers up to a decent plane of living. It was at this convention where the delegates condemned the American Federation of Labor for failing to organize the vast majority of industrial workers. Isn't that right? Yes, exactly. They wanted all their workers to join their one big union, 
named the Industrial Workers of the World. They had a goal in mind and didn't want to stop until they achieved it. Their goal was to organize the working class in hopes of declaring one big general strike to take possession of the earth and the machinery of production. They wanted to get as far away from capitalism as possible so that a cooperative commonwealth would be established with the workers in control. All right, so these delegates, didn't they split over one singular important issue? They absolutely did. It was the socialists at the convention who wanted the IWW to engage in politics and elections. Eugene V. Debs was a huge part of this side. Ah, yes. Eugene V. Debs was an active trade unionist. He sure was, but the anarchists believed that the election system was merely just a tool for capitalism. And they rejected political participation and argued for direct action in so many different forms. Strikes, worker demonstrations, and they even went as far as sabotage. But the two sides finally compromised by agreeing that the IWW would operate in both areas. However, they said they would not become attached to any political party. It is known that the Wobblies have had a lot of struggles. Some may even say the industrial workers of the world even had a bad reputation. Could you tell us why this is? Well, the thing about the IWW is that they were willing to sign up almost anyone. That gave it the reputation of being a union of hobos, drifters, and other lowlifes. Some even said that the IWW stood for I won't work. So then, what was their most popular name anyways? The anti-union owner of the Los Angeles Times, Harrison Gray Otis, put into print the Wobblies. This is the IWW's most lasting name. The Wobblies experienced many struggles, but also had some excesses during early years. One example of this is a strike by Nevada gold miners. This strike won them an eight-hour day. It did. That was a huge success, but there was one flaw involving that. Yeah, the act itself was great, but after winning the strike, they failed to follow up and establish a strong and permanent local union. But also, yes, there was more. The IWW leaders were often accused of violent acts and therefore were arrested. I think I can recall a couple certain trials that stood out to me. One involved Joe Hill, the union organizer. Hill was tried, convicted, and eventually executed in Utah for the murder of a store owner during an armed robbery. It is still truly unknown to this day whether or not he is innocent or guilty, but the IWW considers him innocent. They even rallied supporters with his memory. Oh, but the next trial that stood out to me involved your great-great-grandfather, Big Bill Haywood. I know exactly what you're talking about. It was in 1907. My great-great-grandfather was put on trial for the bombing murder of a former Idaho governor. Attorney Clarence Darrow defended him, and he was eventually acquitted when the only witness against him was proved to be a liar. Oh, yes, and we are so lucky for that. Well, moving on, Maddie, where and when would the industrial workers of the world meet? The IWW met annually in Chicago, 
but bitter arguments between the socialists and anarchists weakened the union. So then, what brought them back together? I think it was the free speech fights in Western cities that drew the Wobblies together. Union organizers would hold street meetings and condemn employers for the low pay and the poor working conditions of people including lumberjacks, migrant laborers, and other workers. Employers were able to persuade the local government to pass laws which banned IWW speakers from public areas in some cities. However, the Wobblies weren't going down that easily, so they resisted and held mass meetings. This resulted in so many arrests, crowding the jails and clogging the courts. Vigilantes who were supported by employers and the police even beat up Wobblies in some towns. And this is when everything came to a climax, right? Because in 1916, vigilantes and police shot five Wobblies to death in Everett, Washington. You're absolutely correct. All right, all right. So this whole one big strike has taken place in Lawrence, Massachusetts. What was life like there at the time? And how was the overall environment? Well, more than 40,000 immigrant textile mill workers were not doing so well. And what was the reasoning for that? Men, women, and even children were working 56-hour weeks with wages as low as 12 cents per hour. It got so bad to the point where the state legislature of Massachusetts reduced the legal work week for women and children to 54 hours. And on another negative note, the mill owners immediately cut the pay of all the workers. Yes, and the cries of short pay were ringing throughout the entire town. But this is when the mill workers of Lawrence had left their machines and went on strike. But if I remember correctly, the IWW union was struggling and they called for a general citywide strike. They said it would be better to starve fighting than to starve working. Man, that is so horrible that those words even had to come out of their mouths. But luckily, the Wobblies local had called for outside help. The IWW leaders from New York City soon arrived to take charge. They ended up creating strike boards made up of two representatives from each of the 25 immigrant groups who participated in the strike. The board members then established their demands during the act of the strike. They said... They wanted a 15% wage increase for a 54-hour week and double pay for overtime. Yes, my great-great-grandfather arrived on January 21st to encourage the strikers. More happened, and then eventually, the mill owners gave up and agreed to the demands of the strikers. This strike proved to be the high point of IWW influence on the American labor movement. But it did not spark the big strike to end the capitalist system, nor did the Wobblies develop a strong local union after the success of this strike. In fact, within a few years, the wage gains were wiped out by the mill owners. So, ultimately, if I'm understanding correctly, what you're trying to get at is that the Wobblies failed on their mission as a whole, but had good and strong intentions? Yep, that's exactly right. Man, I'm sorry to hear that, but unfortunately, the Wobblies' failed mission was not the only downside to the historical events of this time. Because in 1914, 
World War One began in Europe, and Big Bill Haywood believed the war was a capitalist plot to increase their profits. And the Wobblies opposed U.S. entry into the war in 1917, also speaking out about the military draft. According to the Constitutional Rights Foundation, One Big Union, One Big Strike, an IWW poster stated, Why be a soldier? Be a man, join the IWW. The IWW continued to work for better pay and working conditions. This led to many strikes against industries necessary for the war effort. That's very true. But the Wobblies were also called traitors and became targets of vigilante violence. I feel as though it just all ended in violence. It most certainly seems like it did. I know that the president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, authorized raids on IWW offices across the country. These IWW leaders were charged with conspiracy to obstruct America's participation in the war as a whole. Because of this, there was a mass trial of IWW leaders. This trial took place in Chicago and involved my great-great-grandfather. The defense of the IWW tried showing that they were only attempting to achieve its goals of better pay and working conditions through nonviolent means and weren't trying to obstruct the war effort or incite a revolution. It's known that the prosecution had a weak legal case, but the Wobblies' poor reputation influenced the jury, who ultimately found them guilty. My great-great-grandfather and others were sentenced to prison terms ranging from 5 to 20 years, and very heavy fines. Big Bill was released from prison to work on the IWW court appeal, but the court upheld the convictions, and so he fled to Russia. The IWW was going downhill, and by 1924, they only had less than 100 members. Unfortunately, my great-great-grandfather died in Moscow, and although the IWW failed, the Wobblies proved an important point. Oh, they definitely did. They proved that large numbers of unskilled industrial workers could be successfully unionized. Their failure to attract a strong, permanent membership set the course for unions across the United States. Well, on that minor positive note, I think that about concludes our story here today, folks. Thank you so, so much for your time here today, Maddie. It has been amazing talking with you and hearing about your great-great-grandfather and other Wobblies. Of course. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow on our podcast, tune in to hear about the Russian Revolution and its effects on the United States and the world. I'm Ella Harris, and this has been History Between the Lines.